Hey there, and welcome to Skin Earth Vitality, where ancient wisdom meets modern vitality. I'm Emily Davis, a holistic esthetician and herbalist. Join us as we unlock the secrets of ancient skincare practices, explore the beauty of seasonal living, herbalism, and true holistic well-being for you and the broader ecosystem. Welcome. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. This is take two because I have headphones on and I realized about halfway through the last recording, I kept hearing this noise and realizing that it was the little menace, Mr. Theodore Lawrence, my dog Teddy, who was in the room and just kept crying to get out. So I had to stop, let him out, and we're just going to start over. So let's hope and cross our fingers that this um, is a good take. (laughs) I want to invite you to soften your jaw, unfurl your brow, Maybe release the tension in your scalp and drop your shoulders. Maybe take in a deep breath. This is a series that I'm doing as I dive into podcasting. I think this is episode number four. And I thought I would start this journey with uh, all about how to shop for skincare, taking each product category one by one in the order that you would use them. This series is for you. If you feel like you get caught up in the latest hyped skincare product, or if you feel dependent on somebody else to tell you what product is right for you, this is meant to demystify skincare for anyone who feels lost. It's all about being able to read the ingredient deck just like it is with food. And I just imagine if you had to ask a doctor or a nutritionist to look at every food item that you picked up before you knew if it were a quote unquote good item or not, that would be so exhausting and it would be giving all of your power away. And I feel that way about skincare. So My goal in this series is for you to feel really good about picking the right products for yourself based on your ability to look at the ingredient deck. So consider this series, Your Holistic Skincare 101. Today I'll be talking about cleansing. This is the first step in your regimen. This is the first product in the series. And I'm going to start this episode with the importance of cleansing, how to, how often, and when. I'll then get into the different types of cleansers and which ones are best for which skin type. And if you don't know your skin type, go back to last week's episode. I talked about how to decipher that. And I also talked about something important that I really need to do a whole episode on, which is the three-part skin barrier. Um, But 
Just to start this episode off, I want to just talk about how important the barrier is. Um, that's truly, I think, what makes a holistic esthetician is the focus on the skin barrier. And the barrier, if you want to age well, if you want to have glowing skin, if you want to have soft skin, um, if you want to avoid or heal any type of a skin um, dysbiosis or dysfunction, so acne, eczema, any type of dermatitis, rosacea, any skin issue, you want to have a really good, um, healthy skin barrier, and you want your bar- your excuse me your barrier to be intact. So. I'll talk about the barrier a couple times today because cleansing is one way that we can destroy our barrier with the wrong types of cleansers. So um, just note that's really important. I talked about it a little bit more in last week's episode. I differentiated the three parts of the barrier. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go um, press pause now and go give that a look. Okay. So after I get into the different types of cleansers, I'm going to touch on two ingredients that I think are worth uh, mentioning in more detail, which are surfactants and emulsifiers. This will lend or will lead into me talking about some types of cleansers that I tend to avoid. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up today's episode with how to read an ingredient deck red flag ingredients that I look for, and a handful of ingredients that I really like in a cleanser. So let's dive in. Cleansing is always step one of your skincare regimen. Cleansing helps to remove stagnant oils. It helps to remove pollution, um, the skincare products that you had applied earlier in the day. It helps to remove makeup, sunblock, whatever's going on on the surface. And then it's also going to help to prime your skin for the rest of the products so that they are more available and may more easily penetrate the skin. And it's also a really good time to have a feel around your skin and below the surface of your skin to maybe check out what's really going on. I wrote an Instagram post this past week that I just, it's like exemplified everything that I believe in about the face, which is that your face is a portal of communication with your body. And cleansing is a really great place to start that communication process. Just touching your skin, noticing what you feel, Noticing muscle tension. Is the skin rough? Is the skin smooth? Is it um, painful in any areas that I'm touching? When I'm doing a facial, this is the time that I'm really analyzing the skin and making decisions about what should happen in the rest of the facial. So don't discount this part of the cleansing process, this um, tactical step of really touching with your fingers, massaging the face, and noticing what your skin and what your body is telling you. 
a pet peeve of mine, one of the many pet peeves I have with um, conventional beauty is the subliminal idea that our bodies are dirty and that they're disgusting. Uh, Eugene Schuler, who was the founder of L'Oreal, who he was, you know, a figure of the past. I think he lived from 1881 to 1957, um, if my memory serves me correctly from when I was doing research for this. Um, But so he is the founder of L'Oreal, huge company, huge umbrella company. And he's supposedly been quoted as saying, tell people they're disgusting. They don't smell good. They're not attractive. Just, you know, subtly. And so this was part of his marketing scheme. And whether he said this or not is up for debate. But I think that this just really speaks volumes about the messaging in the beauty industry over the past century. And it's like hilarious. You have to laugh because it's so messed up. And it's this is subliminal messaging that we are receiving all the time. And this idea of feeling disgusted by our own bodies creates a disconnect from ourselves. It leads us to rely on products that we have to purchase to feel acceptable. So this is part of my identity crisis that I face as an esthetician. And I'm sure if you're an esthetician listening and, you know, if you're maybe more on the holistic side or even if you're not, I'm sure that you've felt this before. And sometimes I'm like, do we even need skincare? Um, But then I think of this principle called entropy. Entropy is the tendency for systems to move from a state of order to a state of disorder. It's a universal principle that applies to most things. So like your house naturally is going to get messy unless you clean it. Um, It can be applied to your finances. Your expenses can pile up. Your financial records can become cluttered without attention. And it's also seen in nature. Biodiversity, for example, is a self-correcting mechanism for the disordered overgrowth of a species, whether that be plant or animal. And I say all this because I'm getting at how this can be seen in our own biology in the need for personal hygiene, thus the importance of what I'm talking about today, which is cleansing. Excuse me. So as I said, I point to this because I often wonder, is skincare something we even need to do? If we were to get to this state of pristine health, is skincare necessary? Can and should you just skin fast forever? And I'll do an entire episode on skin fasting because I do think that it can be a really helpful tool. And skin fasting just means going a period of time without skincare in order to allow your microbiome to recolonize. And like I said, I do think that this is a helpful tool, but my conclusion at this point in time 
is that skincare is a sacred practice and that it can lead us into a deeper relationship with ourselves by sending a subtle subliminal message that you matter. And also because of the principle of entropy, it's a necessary part of personal hygiene. And also, I always like to look back at history and at what our ancestors did for, um, you know, for longer than the last 100 years or so to decipher if something is a good idea to incorporate into my life. And cleansing has been part of our human existence. I mean, skincare in general has been part of our human existence since before written records. And we see in written records that it was a part of human humanity moving through the time period of Mesopotamia and ancient Egypt and onward. So this is all far, of course, far before modern marketing tactics in the beauty industry. So now that we've established the need for cleansing, let's get into what that habit should look like. As I've said a couple of times, cleansing is your first step. This should always be done with clean hands and with a mild water temperature. If you're currently experiencing a severe or really any type of disruption in your skin barrier, again, that can look like acne or dermatitis or redness, itchiness, any type of like rash situation, you may consider filtered or mineral water as opposed to the chlorinated water from the tap because chlorine is an antibiotic and that can kill the beneficial microbes that are an integral part of your barrier. I have a vitamin C filter on my shower and vitamin C offsets the effects of chlorine. Um, I would love to have a filter for our house that filters all of the water. Um, If you have that, fantastic. If you're looking into it, do it. It's amazing. Great idea. Um, But if you don't have that option, and when I had perioral dermatitis last year, I pretty much always washed my face with filtered water or with um, bottled mineral water. So consider doing that and um, let's see, I lost where I was. Always remove your makeup first. So I like to remove makeup with um, some type of an oil, an oil cleanser. I'm going to talk today about micellar water and how why I don't recommend it. But prior to cleansing, you're going to want to remove makeup with a cloth. And then I always apply my cleanser with um, too dry skin. And then I add my water afterwards and start my cleansing manipulations so that I'm not diluting the cleanser. Anyone who has seen TV probably knows what cleansing manipulations look like. There's enough um, clean and clear commercials to show us what that looks like, kind of like small little circles as you're adding the water. But I would say take it a little bit further. This should be a time that you are also massaging your face. It's certainly not a time that you're 
aggressively rubbing or scrubbing your face, but take this as a time for some self-love. Follow up by removing your cleanser with a soft cloth. I really like unstitched organic diapers or any type of an unstitched cloth, maybe a hemp or a bamboo cloth, or just a soft washcloth. How often you cleanse your day, your cleanse per day is highly individual. Most people are going to do so much better to cleanse only once per day. And I would encourage you to just try it out and see how it goes if you're not used to this. If you are to cleanse just once a day, the best time to do this is in the evening. If you wear makeup, of course, it's extremely important to remove all of the makeup before bed because going to bed with makeup on, we all know it's drying, it can clog your pores, it's super irritating to your eyes, it can cause skin issues. But even if you don't wear makeup during the day, um, you do accumulate pollution or oils and sweat, and it's good to cleanse this off at the end of the day. So this is why I say choose the end of the day versus the beginning of the day if you're just going to cleanse one time per day. I would not cleanse more than twice per day. So this can look tricky if you have a middle of the day workout routine. If you choose to cleanse only in the more in the evening, in the morning what you would do is splash your face with water and use your cloth with water to swipe your skin. And then maybe you add a hydrosol or a plant water tonic to the skin. And then after this, move into the rest of your routine. I would do this after a workout as well if you're not cleansing your skin with a cleanser at this time. Because you do want to make sure that you're removing sweat. Um, sweat can be very irritating to the skin if it's left on the skin after the workout. But if you're oily or acne prone and you work out in the middle of the day, it is a good idea to wash your face after your workout. And you may be asking, what about double cleansing? Double cleansing means what it says, cleansing your skin twice in a row. Every facial that I do starts with a double cleanse, and this might be the right option for you, but again, it's going to be individual. I would recommend just doing some self-experimentation to see if double cleansing works for you. I personally never double cleanse because it's way too harsh for my dry and sensitive skin. And I know that a lot of estheticians would be horrified to hear this because they get trapped in this dogma of what quote unquote good skincare looks like. And I definitely used to also, and I still am always trying to check my dogma. But I think it's just like a diet. Living by hard and fast rules isn't going to be helpful. So some reasons that you might want to double cleanse are if you tend to be more on the oily side. Um, you want to double cleanse if you wear makeup, especially a lot of um, face makeup like foundation. You would want to double cleanse if you live in a city where there's higher pollution. If you 
live in a place that has more dust in the air like Las Vegas or if you otherwise live a lifestyle that would warrant it, if you smoke or if you're around smoke often, maybe you work in a kitchen and there's oil in the air. So just thinking about what your skin is regularly exposed to and use your intuition and your common sense. And so next I wanna shift gears and talk about the different types of cleansers that you have to choose from and the ingredients. So we've got, let's see, how many did I list out here? I listed out seven cleansers that you may have to choose from. The first, And I'm gonna talk about what each cleanser, what skin type it's best for. So the best one, or the first one, Also the best one, I should say, is oil cleansing. So this is great for all skin types. And if you're like, I just don't know what to do, oil cleansing is a great one to choose as a rule of thumb because it doesn't include many of the ingredients that I'm going to talk about that you want to avoid today. And it's just easy and depending on the oil cleanser, um, it can be really beneficial to your skin. So oil cleansing might sound really counterintuitive, but because oil attracts oil, it's going to pick up stale or stagnant oils from the skin. It's going to pick up pollution. It's going to break down makeup and sunscreen. And I would categorize cleansing balms in this category as well because a balm is just a solidified oil with the addition of some type of a butter or a wax. And these types of cleansers are really beneficial because they are going to, again, break down that stubborn makeup and they can leave the skin feeling really moisturized. I'll do an episode or I'll probably do a series all about oils soon, but do know that not all oil cleansers are created equal and some are going to be meant um, for more oily skin. Some are going to be meant for more dry skin. Light oils like hemp seed or watermelon seed are better for oily skin. And then more heavy or occlusive oils like avocado, sea buckthorn, macadamia nut. I've even seen castor oil formulated in some really lovely oil cleansers. Um, So these heavier oils, of course, are going to be better for more dry skin and they can be more pore clogging if you have oily skin or skin prone towards pore clogging. And then there's balanced oils like tamanu or black cumin seed that are more universal. So you can easily feel the texture of the cleanser if it's got like a heavy, more, um, gosh, what's the word? Just like a heavy, like castor oil almost feels like maple syrup in your hands. So if it's got that heavier consistency, it's going to be better for drier skin. But if you feel the oil is thinner, um, if it's lighter in your hands, that's going to be better for more oily skin. 
it may take some experimentation and it's not uncommon for the first skincare product that you use to not be the right skincare for you. But the more that you experiment, the better it's going to be. So to oil cleanse, you always want to apply it to dry skin with dry hands and then massage it in, letting the oil break down what's ever on the surface. This is a fantastic option if you are prone to clogged pores. This oil can break that down. And then after it's massaged in and after it's done all of its work, breaking everything down, you can add water and start to do your cleansing manipulations. Generally, it will start to get a little bit more of a milky consistency. And then most important step of oil cleansing is that you always want to remove it with a damp cloth. You never want to just splash oil cleanser off because it's going to leave residue on your skin and that can be problematic. Some people have seen better results with removing with like a damp organic cotton round. There's this theory that the residue from your laundry detergent is in a washcloth or any type of a cloth or towel that you would have and that this can be disruptive on the skin. So if you're doing oil cleansing and you're seeing that you have like maybe little white bumps on your face or... um I guess, acne breakouts or still have clogged pores, you may try switching to that method and see if it's better. Um, This obviously does create a lot more waste. And so I like to be conscious there. Um, I have never had an issue with just removing with, I use the unstitched organic diapers to remove my oil cleanser every day and I've never had an issue with it, but something to keep in mind. The second out of seven cleansers that I want to talk about is a cream cleanser. This is generally best for dry or sensitive skin types. Cream cleansers are thick and creamy in consistency. They may also sometimes be called a milk cleanser. They often contain moisturizing ingredients like oils or butter Um, But these are different than an oil cleanser because they do have the addition of water in their formulation. So anytime you have a cream, whether it be a cream cleanser or a moisturizer, it's always going to be oil and water mixed together or a water-like substance like a hydrosol mixed together. But as you may or may not be aware, oil and water don't mix. And so we need something in there to mix these together so that they can stay, um, so that they're not separating into separate layers in the bottle. And the ingredient that is used for that is called an emulsifier, which I'll get into after I talk about the types of cleansers. Um, So sit tight on that, but some emulsifiers can be problematic for the skin. Not all of them, but some of them. Number three on our list is a gel cleanser. A gel cleanser is generally best for oily to combination skin types. Gel cleansers are like a gel-like consistency that lather into a foamy texture when mixed with waters. And again, we have something that is going to create the foam, which is called a surfactant, 
and sit tight because we're going to get to that as well. Next is a clay cleanser. Anything clay is generally best for oily skin types, not always, but generally. And clay is going to absorb excess oil from the skin. I love clays, even though I have dry skin. I just think they're such a beautiful way to connect with the earth. They're going to be very mineral rich. And um, so I will use clay for my dry skin in some instances, but in general, it's going to be best for oily skin. Number six in our list is powdered cleanser. This can be great for all skin types depending on the formulation. Powdered cleansers come in a dry powdered form that is activated with water to create a cleansing paste. They can be more travel friendly. Sometimes these are exfoliating cleansers. Um, I love a good powdered cleanser. I think that they're a really cool and innovative idea. And then finally, foaming cleansers. These are generally formulated for oily skin. They produce a rich lather when mixed with water, similar to a gel cleanser. Um, But the difference is that a foaming cleanser will usually have a specific type of pump that pumps air into the liquid. And as it pumps out, you have a foam pumping out. Um, It's meant to remove excess oil and it's often going to give that squeaky clean feeling, which is not a good thing. That feeling means that your protective oil lipid barrier is broken down. So I'm going to do many episodes breaking down ingredients. Ingredients are something that I super nerd out on. I'm in a program right now to become an organic skincare formulator, which I will finish this year. And this has been my favorite part about the program and really about aesthetics and even herbalism in general is just getting into ingredients. I think it's so fascinating. Before I get into my viewpoint on ingredients, I do want to remind you that I'm looking at this through a holistic lens, and this is my truth at this time, but I always grant myself permission to change my mind. There's a lot of fear-mongering in the neo-holistic movement that you see on Instagram People who maybe just recently woke up to this and feel really obligated to tell the world or people who have to continually post info dumping on Instagram in order for their account to stay relevant. And the result from this is people who just want to do the best thing for their body feeling overwhelmed or maybe feeling guilty or just giving up on the whole thing altogether because they're chalking it up to, well, everything gives you cancer these days. I would challenge you on that. I think that you are smarter than that kind of a defeatist attitude. I think it's an easy button. And I think it's not going to support your quality of life long long term. And it doesn't support the greater ecosystem, which you are a part of. 
I think that you have the capability to sift through the information presented with discernment. And I think that you're able to choose the best option and be okay with changing your mind when you're presented with new info. It only gets to be as overwhelming as you make it. I know that it's super frustrating. I don't like to say the word expert, but I've been studying skin for 17 years and I still can feel overwhelmed by all the stuff being spewed at me as I am scrolling and it can feel like fear mongering sometimes. And on the other side of the crowd or on the other side of the coin, there are people who love to make a platform out of claiming that avoiding toxins is fear-mongering. And there's this attitude of like intellectualizing this and acting like you're unhinged and uneducated if you want to avoid quote-unquote chemicals. And if that feels like your truth, I'm probably not for you. You're probably not going to enjoy this podcast and that's okay. But it drives me nuts because look at the lawsuits that Johnson & Johnson has been involved in from making people sick with ingredients that were approved by the FDA. I don't think that you have to be wearing a tinfoil hat to understand that there's corruption and conflicts of interest within the FDA. And it's not even just about making people sick. It's about breaking down the health of the skin and that all-important barrier that I'm just going to beat that point in as many times as I need to because it's so important. And if we are able to heal our barrier, we can heal our skin from any skin issue. So my goal when talking about skincare is to break this all down for you in a way that feels digestible. We can't go around looking for products without chemicals or saying we don't like chemicals because everything is a chemical. There are certain chemicals that are unhealthy or damaging or destructive to the ecosystem or to our skin or the rest of our body, both synthetic and natural. Every plant has a chemical makeup, and we all know, of course, that not all plants are benign. Essential oils can, uh, citrus essential oils can make your skin. Uh, more sensitive to the sun. They're phototoxic. Or another example is many essential oils will break down the skin's barrier when used in a concentration that's too high. This is one reason I don't recommend utilizing essential oil drops in your skincare at home. Let the formulators do that because there's a certain percentage that they have to or want to stay below for safe skincare. Looking at a product on the Environmental Working Group or the EWG doesn't always give us the whole picture because just because it doesn't have toxic ingredients according to their specific rating, which is going to be Um, Like, is it cancer causing? Is it toxic to the environment? But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily supportive to the skin. 
When we're looking to support the skin, the main thing that we want to think about again is the barrier. For time and simplicity's sake, when it comes to cleansers, there are a couple of different ingredient types that I think deserve some attention, and that's surfactants and emulsifiers. It's so easy to get into a dogmatic viewpoint that all surfactants and all emulsifiers are bad, but what I've come to realize is that's not necessarily true. I generally only like to use products with biodegradable emulsifiers and surfactants, and I don't want a formulation that's filled with them. So in a little bit, when I get to talking about how to read an ingredient deck, this is something to pay attention to. I'm going to teach you how to figure out which ones are emulsifiers or surfactants or preservatives or what the heck that weird word is. Um, but just because there's an emulsifier or a surfactant in there doesn't make it a bad product. It's just like looking at how many of the ingredients in the ratio of the whole formulation are these ingredients. And maybe that means it's not as supportive to the barrier. So what are they? In this context, a surfactant is a detergent-style foaming ingredient that lowers surface tension. Basically, it removes dirt and oil. So if something foams, it's going to have a surfactant. Excessive use of surfactants or when a formulation has a harsh surfactant, this can disrupt the lipid barrier of the skin because it strips away your natural oils leading to dryness and potential irritation. It's like if you use dish soap on your hands as your hand soap often, you're going to find that your hands are dry and cracking. It's just like the same thing on your face if you're using a heavily foamy detergent style cleanser on your skin on the regular. An emulsifier binds oil and water, preventing them from separating into distinct layers. So it holds it all together. It should come as no surprise that oil and water don't mix. So a cream, anything creamy, a cream cleanser, a cream moisturizer, this is just an oil and a water but they're mixed together. And then we have an ingredient called an emulsifier that binds those two molecules together so that it comes in a creamy consistency rather than a layer of oil and a layer of water in a bottle. So excessive use of emulsifiers or harsh emulsifiers can potentially strip away the natural oils of our skin because the agent that's the emulsifier causes the water to bind to the oil, but it doesn't necessarily know how to distinguish between the oil that's in the product and the oil that's in the skin. So it can bind to the oil that you want that's in your skin that's there to protect your skin, and it can wash it away down the drain. And so this is why really creamy creams aren't always optimal, even though they feel really good on your skin. Um, this is why I often will recommend a hydrosol and an oil in place of that. But we'll get to that in the moisturizer episode. 
And additionally, some synthetic emulsifiers like DEA, TEA, and NEA have been categorized as carcinogens. Products that are really heavy formulated with these include micellar water, which I don't recommend, um, which is basically just water and emulsifiers. Products like Cetaphil and CeraVe are basically water, emulsifiers, surfactants, preservative, and that's it. Um, and sometimes they'll have like a, a, what's it called? Like a hydrating ingredient, a humectant, um, something like that, but they're not really doing your skin any favors. Um, baby shampoo, which is basically just super heavy surfactants and then fragrance. Um, Neutrogena, like that old school orange colored Neutrogena has so many harsh surfactants. And a lot of products that are sold at the grocery store and at the department store and at Sephora are often very heavy in these types of ingredients. And this, of course, all comes down to profit margins. With mass-produced skincare formulating products with higher concentrations of surfactants and emulsifiers and cheap synthetic preservatives is going to simplify the manufacturing process, which will reduce labor and production costs. The ability of these ingredients to create stable emulsions and desirable textures will also reduce um, labor and production costs and increasing the shelf life, which is something that these can do, will also make it cheaper because it can stay on the shelf for longer. I think that it's really important that we take into consideration that the products that we put on our body hold an energetic information code, just like the food that we eat. I prefer to use less product but a higher quality product. And that does not equate to a more expensive product. It can, but it doesn't necessarily. It mostly just means not a mass-produced product. As a professional, and I'll admit it, a skincare snob, I would honestly rather make my own product. I would rather use honey as my cleanser before you would ever catch me buying a designer product that came from a department store. I need to do two separate episodes about both of these. One that's like the good, the bad, and the ugly of DIY skincare because I think it would be really cool to just share some of my knowledge as an herbalist, as a formulator, and an esthetician about how you can make really beautiful skincare formulations at home with the right knowledge. I mean, that could be like a whole course in itself. Um, but I also think that some more attention should be put on the lie that we're sold that a really expensive designer uh, skincare product that's sold at Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom is going to be a better product because I would say 95% of the time, those are the worst products for your skin. They're just so filled with um, 
low grade preservatives with fragrance with irritants and things that are going to be disrupting your barrier and not doing your skin any favors so how do we know if a product is good or not and that all comes down to just like with food we need to be able to read an ingredient deck and there's so much focus put on how to read an ingredient deck at the grocery store for a food product. And obviously that's so good. We need to be able to do that. We're putting that in our body. But what about the stuff that we're putting on our body? I don't feel like that's talked about enough and it's not made transparent enough. So I have broken it down into a, let's see how many steps, six steps of how to read an ingredient deck And hopefully after you hear this, you feel super empowered and you can pick up any product and know what you're doing. So step one is just start with the basics. Begin familiarizing yourself with common ingredients and their purposes. And if you stick with me, you'll really start to get familiar with them As I said, I'm an ingredient nerd, and so we'll go over different ingredients. And we've already talked at length about surfactants and emulsifiers. Um, So just start to get yourself familiar with the ingredients. And then number two, what a time to be alive. Copy and paste the ingredient deck. You need the full ingredient deck, not just the key ingredients that they're bragging about in their product. Find the full ingredient deck. Often it will start with water and it will have all of the ingredients listed in a little paragraph. And copy and paste that into ChatGPT or who knows at the when you're listening to this who knows what the current ai um, model is but copy and paste it into ai and ask chat gpt to break down the ingredient deck i do not recommend asking chat gpt for their opinion about the ingredients we're just saying break down this ingredient deck ingredient by ingredient so that you know what the ingredient is and what its purpose is. And I would say ChatGPT, unfortunately, is not a great skincare expert. Um, This is just a tool, right? Like Google. ChatGPT is collecting information from all over the internet to give you what it finds really fast. It's taking your research process and turning it into something that could take a few seconds where it could take you a couple of hours. And I'm assuming you don't have a couple of hours, otherwise you would already be an ingredient deck expert. So do this and it's gonna just save you so much time of researching each one individually. And just start to take into account, like, what are these? What um, type of a product are they? And that can start to form your opinion about it. Number three is to understand the order. Ingredients are listed in descending order of predominance by weight. So whatever is first in the deck is what's going to take up the majority of the bottle basically. 
And that's not to say if water is ingredient number one, that it's a bad product because that couldn't be further from the truth. We do need fillers and we do need um, pH balancers and all kinds of different ingredients. It can't just all be active ingredients for a good formulation. So we need all of these other types of ingredients and active ingredients may be near the middle or near the end and that's okay. More isn't better. I know that we have this like weird viewpoint in our culture that like we want to just have more, more, more. Um, but that doesn't always mean better, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, say you have a really active ingredient. If you have excess of that, let's take essential oils, for example. We talked about those earlier. If that were ingredient number one, if that's a really active ingredient in your formulation and that's ingredient number one, you're going to be totally burning your face off. So all that to say, understand the order take it into consideration. And then number four is spot your red flags. And I'm going to go through a brief list of red flags that I look out for. The first one is sulfates. You'll see it on the ingredient deck. Uh, usually it will say sulfate. This is ingredients like sodium lauryl sulfate, sul sodium laureth sulfate, these are really strong surfactants that can strip away your skin's natural oils. Um, if you have perioral dermatitis, this is often recommended as step one to take out of your lifestyle, whether it's your toothpaste or your laundry detergent or your skincare. I like to always avoid these ingredients because they are generally a surefire way to um, give you a skin disorder over time. And you'll also see it if you copy and paste that into chat GPT. If something is a sulfate and you didn't notice it before, they will tell it in the list of ingredients. Next is fragrance. Fragrance is generally added to mask the smell of the other ingredients used. It can potentially be synthetic or natural from an essential oil. I am far less likely to dismiss a product if it is a essential oil, um, but it depends. Sometimes, like I tried a sunscreen last summer and it was listed as fragrance, which I didn't check my ingredient deck before I purchased, so that was my bad. But I tried it, I looked at the label, it said fragrance, I went and did a little research, looked through their website. Lo and behold, it was orange and citrus essential oil, which is phototoxic in a sunscreen. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, so that was a, a red flag for me. Fragrance is a catch-all term for potentially hundreds of ingredients that are allowed to be named under this because it's a way to keep a trade secret of the formulation. But the problem is often fragrances, natural or synthetic, make our skin more sensitive to the sun. Synthetic hormones can be dis hormone disruptors. Um, they are often associated with skin disorders 
and they can create a cycle of issues with hormonal skin disorders that you may want to stop in its tracks by kicking fragrance out of your life. Harsh exfoliants. I have a lot of um, unique in the grand scheme of things viewpoints on exfoliation, which we'll talk about next week. Um, But I personally avoid alpha hydroxy acids and beta hydroxy acids. Um, Definitely walnut shells, apricot kernels, they can cause micro tears in the skin. Um, Anything that's a aggressive exfoliant does not belong in a daily cleanser. And so this is definitely a red flag for me. Artificial colorants, um, these can be irritating and can disrupt the microbiome. So I always look for products that are free from artificial colors. Formaldehyde-releasing agents. So these are synthetic preservatives that are very commonly used in skincare. And formaldehyde has been classified as a human carcinogen by the International Research for International Agency for Research on Cancer. Prolonged or high-level exposure to formaldehyde has been associated with an increased risk of certain cancers, including leukemia. So a couple of popular product lines that have been reported to have formaldehyde-releasing ingredients in the past are Neutrogena, Cetaphil, Aveeno, Olay, Clean and Clear. So these are just a few. I know Dove has as well. Um, You won't see these on the label as formaldehyde-releasing agents. So when you are looking up with ChatGPT what each ingredient is, what all of those long names that you don't understand are, um, Find out which ones are the preservatives, and then you can look up, is this a formaldehyde-releasing agent? ChatGBT might also just put that in the description for you. Um, It just depends. Next is parabens. Um, Parabens is a complex topic. The safety of parabens is ongoing for debate, and there's always ongoing research about it. They're a group of synthetic preservatives commonly used in cosmetics and food and personal care products, and they prevent microbial growth. And we want our products to have preservatives. If there's water in the product, you need to have preservatives in there because mold is so much worse than the preservative or whatever's growing in it. The bacteria is going to be so much worse than the preservative. Um, But there are natural preservatives and there are more biodegradable and eco-friendly preservatives. Um, The thing with parabens, though, is it's become such a hot topic and such a hot word. And people or marketing will now say like paraben free on everything because people are looking for that. But the issue is that oftentimes they'll use something that's worse than a paraben in the product. So use your discernment, use your common sense here. And um, yeah, those are my red flags. And I do want to just mention really quickly um, why 
ingredients have such long, um, like why there's such long names in the ingredient deck and you could be like, okay, I just want to choose products that I can pronounce all of the names. But the problem with that, for example, one of the skincare products that I use, um, they have the Latin names of all of the herbs that they put in their ingredient deck. And they are the cleanest skincare I've ever found. Um, but in herbalism, you use the Latin term so that you have like an international way to um, talk about the product because the common name in one country may not be the common name for that particular plant in another country. And it's the same thing with ingredient names on the ingredient deck. They have to be labeled with their INCI name, which is their International Nomenclature of Cosmetic Ingredients. And that's so that wherever you are in the world, you can un- you know what that ingredient is based on its I and C I name. And sometimes that's sometimes that's a really long or confusing name. And so it doesn't really make a lot of sense to just be like, I'm only choosing something with a word that I can pronounce because um very innocent ingredients may have a long, hard to pronounce name. So finally, as we wrap up, thank you for sticking around. I want to just name a couple of ingredients that are really lovely to look for in a cleanser um, because I don't want to just leave the episode with all the the things that we want to avoid. I want to leave on a positive note. Um, So we'll start with hydrosols, which are a steam distillation of a plant that creates a plant water. These are a lovely ingredient to find in your cleanser. Some product lines will not use water and will instead use either hydrosols or my next ingredient, which is green tea. Um, which can reduce inflammation and provide antioxidant support. Honey is a mild enzyme and cleansing agent. Enzymes like rice, papaya, pineapple, they all gently exfoliate, and I'll definitely give them lots of attention in next week's episode about exfoliation. Herbs like chamomile, rose, Lemon balm, lavender are all cleansing because plants naturally will have an antibacterial component to them as it's important for them to fight off unwanted microbes. And so when we utilize them and work with them um, as humans, they share that beautiful property with us as well. Herbal infusions, so this will be an oil generally or maybe a glycerin infused with an herb. Um, So herbs like, let's see, uh, plantain, marshmallow, calendula, licorice, these are all healing and soothing. Um, Other herbal infusions like self-heal, chickweed, violet, and calendula, again, are all helpful for lymphatic support. And then um, some some plants have surfactant 
uh, powers to them or they have surfactant benefit to them, which is very interesting. So plants like soap bark, soap wort, yucca, these are all plants that have natural surfactant properties. And so you'll see these in skincare ingredients. And I just think that's so cool that the soap was put into the plants. And then we have biodegradable emulsifiers. Lecithin is a very common one. And that's a really great emulsifier um, that's not going to be super strong. So to highlight what we talked about, cleansing is a very important step, but how often you do it is individualized based on your lifestyle and your skin. I discussed emulsifiers and surfactants. These are two ingredients that I thought deserved a little more airtime in helping you to understand them so you can support your skin barrier and ultimately the appearance and health of your skin. I talked about all of the different cleansers that you have to choose from and which one is best for which skin type in general. And then finally, I talked about how to read an ingredient deck, what to look for when you're doing so, and the AI can be a really helpful tool for breaking down which ingredient is there or what ingredient is in there for. And armed with this info I've given you, you can use your own discernment based on the AI results, but don't look to AI to give you an opinion because I... uh, I tried it. I put in a ton of different ingredient decks and their opinion was not my opinion. So, you know, use your discernment there as always with AI. My goal for you is to step into your power when choosing skincare. And I feel like, I hope you feel like this is very possible after listening to this episode. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing, and then share it with a friend who you think would enjoy it. I'm so grateful. Thank you again. I'll see you next week for a talk on exfoliation. Be well.